Where's the meeting? Good evening, everybody. Sorry, I turned my power button off. One second. Okay, for those of you that have the book, we are starting from, uh, um, I guess it's chapter one, letter D, defining the parameters of a suffix. Tonight's class is going to be a little bit more technical. Um, going to cover some of the details of, of the general principles that we talked about before. So we we had talked about the issue of bracha levatalo, of making a bracha for no, for no reason, and what one does in a situation where one is in doubt. So the halacha demands that a bracha not be recited unless the need for the bracha is absolutely certain. Right, then there's the the principle of suffix bracha sahakal, that when we have when when in doubt, one has to be more lenient because to be to be stringent about making the bracha is to be lenient about saying the name of Hashem, or to or or taking an oath. However, we're going to learn the, the prohibition of of bracha levatala, and since most brachos are only a rabbinic prohibition, this is really a Torah prohibition to take the Hashem's name in vain. Although. Whether or not bracha levatala is actually a Torah prohibition or a prohibition is is debatable, um, but since you have that, we have this general principle, so uh, that becomes this becomes uh, critical that the need be very clear. Um, so we noted earlier that pertaining to brachos of rabbinic origin, suffer brachos establishes both a maximum and a minimum rule. What that means is. Is that is that it 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 doesn't allow us to the leeway of either when I I'm not sure if I did make a bracha or if I'm not sure if I did not make a bracha. Either way, Safi Bracha uncle says don't don't either don't repeat it or don't make a new bracha. There are ever specific situations which have to be considered. Okay, the first one um, uh, puts us again. This is a very technical halachic term. Let me try to. Um, let me try to give you a little bit of background. So let me try to catch you up on your Talmudic learning that perhaps you, some people may may have missed um, for the for the for this one. There is a there's a principle in halacha called sveik sveiko. Sveik sveiko is suffix. The word suffix means when something's a doubt. A sveik sveiko means a doubt built on top of another doubt. So. Um, uh, I'll give you a classical example of a sveik sveiko. Let's say I have a a a, a, um, a city in which there are ten stores that sell meat. Nine of them sell kosher meat. One of them sells non kosher meat. Now, on top of the fact that nine of the because you have nine stores that sell kosher meat, even in the store where the non kosher meat is sold, they sell kosher and non kosher meat. Okay. So now I find a piece of meat lying out in the street. I have a suffix. I have an initial doubt. Maybe this piece of meat came from one of the nine stores. Maybe it came from the one store. Let's make it a simpler. Nine stores to one store, we would already deal with rove. And then with, let's say five stores sell kosher meat. Five stores sell non-kosher meat. Of the five stores that sell non-kosher meat, three stores also sell kosher meat together with the kosher meat. So now I find a piece of meat out in the street. Five stores sell kosher meat, five stores sell non-kosher meat. So I have one suffix. Did it come from a kosher store? Did it come from the non-kosher store? Even if you'll tell me that it came from the non-kosher store, maybe it came from the kosher meat in the non-kosher store. So that's called a sveik sveika. 
what well, the, the way the, the way the principle works is there are there are there are there are rules so to speak that we use for deciding what to do when we're in doubt whenever we're in doubt we have certain rules that we follow but now one of those rules is called rove it's called it's called you go after a majority we always we always follow the majority it's based on the Torah principle which we learn from Dayanim, we learn from judges, then you, if you follow the majority opinion, and we use that principle pretty broadly to dis- decide many, 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 many different things. Anytime I have a doubt, I'm usually we- weighing in 50-50. It's, 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 it's 50% this or 50% that. When I have a sfake sfake, you now have a plurality of doubts that can lead you to one side or to the other. Okay, so knows when you build one suffolk on top of another suffolk, it makes it even, it makes the doubt of a doubt something that's much smaller. That's just to give you a, so now, when it comes to the halachas of brachos, that, that idea of sveik sveika, although it helps us all over with regard to other things, with regard to the halachas of brachos, it doesn't help us, as follows. Whenever any, any reasonable doubt remains as to whether a bracha should be said, we apply the rule of suffolk brachos ahaka, right? Anytime I have a single, singular doubt, what should I do? Should I make a bracha? Should I not make a bracha? The general rule, the general principle is suffolk bracha sahako follow, follow the general rule. The degree of suffolk is immaterial. It doesn't matter if I'm 90% sure that I made a bracha or if I'm only 50, 30% sure if I made a bracha. As long as I'm in doubt, there's a possibility that I made that bracha, I'm not allowed to make another bracha. Now, consider the following. Somebody eats a whole strawberry or several grapes, right? Either one for now. And there's some doubt if the amount he's eaten contained the volume of a kazayas or not. Kazayas is the size of an olive. It's about, let's say, for argument's sake, for our for our purposes, three about three ounces. A little bit, it's a little bit more, just around three, between three and four ounces. Okay. So he's not sure did I eat enough? Did I eat three? Did I eat between three or four ounces of grapes, strawberries, whatever else it is? Should the appropriate bracha achrona be recited? Should he say Brayna Fasha? Should he say Alakefan? What should I do? So while the minimum measurement which requires a bracha chrona is generally a kazayas, there is another factor that plays into bracha chrona. And this is a general principle. This is a good thing to know in general. That is something that's called, when you have something that is a complete fruit, it's called, it's what's called in the, the expression is used, the Hebrew expression for that is a barrier, a barrier meaning a whole thing, something that is whole, something that is, something that is complete in and of itself has its own importance, if you will. Where, where where ladies may have come across this, you may have run across this halacha, is, and I'm not meaning to gross anybody out over here, is but when you have, when you find bugs, right? So there's a big difference in halacha if you find a piece of a bug or if you find the whole bug. If you find a whole bug, the halacha is a whole bug is not butter. It can never be nullified. Giving ourselves into lots of different uh, areas of halacha here that are that perhaps not, right? So, so essentially... Normally, we say if you have a mixture of things, we go after our, we go after the majority, two to one. That's a majority that I should always be able to follow. But I have two pieces of kosher meat, one piece of non-kosher meat. They all get mixed together. 
The halacha is technically, don't quote me on this because there's a, there are details to this that, I'm, that I don't want to get into now. It's not for tonight. But technically speaking, you can eat all three pieces of meat because the single piece of meat is bottle barov. Some shitas and rishonim hold, you have to throw away one piece to make sure that you got rid of that. Or actually what you have to do is eat two of them and leave one of them over, right? That's actually the preferred way to do it because you can rely on rov. You can you can rely on the, on the principle that you have a whole, something that's whole. Similarly, if you have a, 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 a pot of soup that's cooking, a meat soup, a chicken soup, whatever, somebody puts a milk spoon into it or drops a little drop of milk into it. So the rabbi, you call the rabbi and you say, what should I do? They put a milk spoon into my fleshic soup. And he tells you, well, the spoon's a problem, but the soup's fine. Why? Because the soup, the volume of the soup is 60 times the volume of the spoon. And being that 60 times the volume of the spoon, 60 times is the, is the general uh, amount needed to nullify taste. The exception to that rule, or one of the exceptions to that rule, is if somebody dropped in something whole into your soup. In other words, if somebody dropped in a whole, if somehow one of the vegetables that you were checking had a whole bug inside it, and you saw that whole bug go in the soup, and then now you're looking around and you can't find the bug, right? So you might say, well, I don't know, most of you would probably say, oh, no, nobody wants to eat that soup. But basically you might say, halakhically speaking, is the soup kosher or not kosher? Well, there's 60 times more soup than there is the bug, so I don't have to worry about the bug in the soup. Wrong. Because the soup, because the bug is whole, as long as you saw a whole bug, that bug can't be nullified. Okay, it's not that my example might not have been the best example for that type of case, but essentially this halakha comes, let's say it comes up, um, let's say uh, if you're making a salad versus if you're making slushes, right? If you make slushes with fruit and you're grinding up the fruit, so now that the bug is going to end up being whatever, right? But then, so nobody's going to know that the whole bug was there. In certain circumstances, we might allow you to rely on bits or allow you to, on that being nullified. Again, you can't nullify things deliberately. Let's not go too far afield. Okay, now, I have in front of us, our, for our purposes, what I have in front of me is I ate an entire strawberry. The strawberry was two ounces. It wasn't three or four, between, between three and four ounces, only two ounces. Do I make a bracha on that? Well, you say, well, it's less than the kazai. You should make a bracha on it. The answer is no, but it was a whole strawberry or it was a whole grape, an entire grape. Well, how it, that has its own importance, something that is complete and that's all. You know where the halacha comes up to you or where you see this halacha all the time is when we talk about shleimim, we talk about whole rolls when it comes to bread. If you want to, if you want to make a bracha on something, for instance, if you have a, a whole bagel, and let, 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 I'll give you an example. Let's say you're eating a bagel and a slice of bread. You have to make hamotzi. Which one are you going to, this is, this is for later, we're going to get into this, but let's say you have a, a bagel, a whole bagel, and a, a slice of bread, and you, you're planning to eat both of them. And they're just both equally as you want, each one equally as much as the other one. Which one should you make a bracha on? Do I make a bracha and eat the bagel first, or do I make a bracha and eat the slice of bread first? The halacha is, you should make a bracha and eat the bagel first. Eat the whole roll first, because it's whole. The fact that it's whole gives it what we call chashivus, gives it importance. The same thing applies over here. A berry, I ate an entire berry. I have a whole entire berry in front of me. Now I must, now I, now even though the berry is less than the three to three and a half ounce shear, the fact is that since it was a whole berry, there are shitos amongst the there are there are poskin that say that since it's whole, therefore you should make a bracha chronon. So, while the minimum measurement which requires a bracha or a chana is generally a kazayas, some authorities maintain that if one is eating a berry, a complete whole thing, like an entire strawberry or an entire grape, he must recite an after bracha without regard to the size of the fruit. Okay, now, the, so, so, so now, consequently, we now face with two independent halachic 
justifications to support the recital of a bracha harna. First, suffolk, maybe it was a kazayas, maybe it wasn't a kazayas. And even if you're going to tell me that it wasn't a kazayas, maybe we paskin, maybe we rule like those opinions that say that you have to make a bracha achrona on a whole fruit. Again, it's it's not clear cut because there's a difference of opinion among supposedim. That in itself creates its own level of what we call suffolk. It also creates a level of suffolk brachos. And now I have two sveikas in front of me. So you might think, well, in that situation, there's many more reasons to say that you should make a bracha chrono than you should not. Look, I'll, I'll, let me let's play it out. I don't I don't have a board to show you how it weighs up, but, but just follow follow through with me. Suffolk, I have a doubt. 50-50. Maybe it was less than maybe it was it was less than three and a half ounces. Maybe it was more than three and a half ounces. So I'm I have fifty percent chance to say that it was more than three and a half ounces. On the side on the side that you're saying that it was less than three and a half ounces, but it was an entire berry. And maybe on that side, we go with the opinion that says you should make a bracha chrono on uh, something that's less than. So now I now have, that, uh, even on the side that says 50%, I should not make a bracha chrono. You got to take off 50% of that side and say, whoa, even on that side, 25, 50, 50% of that 50%, I guess it's like 25%, is that I should still make a bracha chrono. So there's a 75% chance that I should make a bracha chrono, 25% chance that I should not make a bracha chrono. What should I do? So normally we say, Rove, what do you mean you have the majority over here? Are you following, following my, uh, my, I'm sharing with you, right? So 75% chance I should make a bracha. The bracha is, Suffolk bracha says, if there's any doubt, not, it doesn't matter, equal, not equal. The fact that there's a doubt, no longer we no longer make a bracha chrono. So, in spite of these arguments, the bracha chrono may not be recited. A bracha may not be recited. If any doubt exists about its necessity, it doesn't, you don't go through with it. Second, a second thing, a second idea that we have to deal with. Again, we're getting very technical in terms of what are, what are Suffolk brachos, but it's important to understand this principle clearly that no matter how, how, how removed from the concept of Suffolk I may see it, as long as there's any level of Suffolk you could, you could be. So a Suffolk resulting from a dispute amongst postmen, which we just dealt with, right? Because there's a dispute amongst the postmen whether or not a whole fruit is, is charged. So clearly the rule of Suffolk brachos alcohol cannot be applied to every instance where some halachic authority questions the necessity of a bracha. When it comes to halachos brachos, as you're going to see, many, many things are in doubt. There are many. I'll give you a classical example that you probably never thought of. What bracha should you make on chocolate? Well, most of you growing up or, or whatever you've learned, probably learned that the bracha on chocolate is shahako. Actually, it's a machok saposkin. There are poskin that hold that on since chocolate is made from cocoa, cocoa is the main ingredient in chocolate. Well, maybe not the junk that we eat today, right? But if you eat good, you know, rich, uh, maybe not baking chocolate, I don't know if that's considered edible. So then I'm not sure you make any bracha on that. But, but, but an edible dark chocolate that's made from real cocoa, right? The stuff that they call healthy nowadays, right? They've cut down on the sugar and everything else. So suffolk, sugar itself, by the way, is a big suffolk. What bracha should I make on sugar? Should I make a shahako or should I make adama? You know that sugar either grows from, comes from the sugar that we use is either from beets or it's from sugar cane. Most of our sugar, I don't believe, is from sugar cane anymore. It's too expensive a process to remove, to, to get it out of them. But I think they do still take most of the sugar from beets. So so sugar, but beets is a, is a baripi adama. So what bracha do I make on sugar? Shahako or adama? Big suffolk. So now suffolk, I'm posting. Now, <laughs> I give you a, a spoon of sugar. Now what are you going to do? 
not make a bracha because it's a suffix brachos, whether or not to make a bracha, what bracha to make, you can't do that. So clearly the rule of suffix brachos, the hakel, cannot be applied to every instance where some halakhic authority questions the necessity of a bracha. That's a, that's a step further than what we're talking about over here is, let's say the question is whether or not you need a bracha at all. Let's say I made a, I made a buri priha dhamma on sugar, uh, on something else. I made a buri priha dhamma on my peas. And now I want to eat sugar. Now I'm eating sugar. So for whatever the reason, it's sure I'm eating the sugar plain. Do I make a shahako? Or do we say, no, you already yotze, you already fulfilled your obligation because you already made a bari priyadama. Which one should I do? So you can say, well, it's a tzamachok saposkim, therefore don't make a bracha because it's a suffix. No, we can't do that. Um, were we to apply the rule indiscriminately, we would do away with many of our brachos. So poskim therefore deal with each case individually. And at times, the fact that a majority of opinions accepts the bracha is sufficient to require its recitation. So since most posts can hold that sugar is shahakal, even if you already ate your peas, you would still make a bracha on your, on your sugar. In addition, opinions which were omitted from shulchan aruch may be considered re- repudiated and therefore not included in any consideration of suffix bracha, which is essentially the idea is that the shulchan aruch was a compilation written by Rav Yosef Cairo in the, in the, in the early 1500s um, essentially what he did was he took all the opinions into account. It's actually, the, the Shulchan Aruch is actually a code book from a larger book that he wrote, which was called the Beis Yosef. The Beis Yosef was a commentary on, a, on an earlier uh, a codifier of halacha called Rabbeinu Yaakov Bal HaTurim. He wrote, a, initially he wrote a sefer called Beis Yosef, which was an, essentially a, that's really his magnum opus, even though what he's more famous for, Yosef Cairo, is probably more famous for his Shulchan Aruch. But his magnum opus, his really unbelievable work of scholarship, beyond even the Shulchan Aruch, beyond the Shulchan Aruch, which, is, which literally means the set table, which was essentially was a codification or an abbreviation of his larger sefer called Beis Yosef. And in, in the Sefer, Rav Yosef Cairo, in the Shulchan Aruch, what he said, attempted to do was just give you the bottom line halach. As you know, that didn't how that worked out for him. You know, if you open up a Shulchan Aruch, all you see, if you'll, if you'll ever open up a Shulchan Aruch, you'll see this, this square block text in the middle with little Rashi text underneath that, and then huge columns of Rashi text on the sides of that, and then more text on the columns of that. And, and if you flip to the back, there's more on the back of that and more on the back of that. The codification system d- didn't exactly work that way. It didn't never it never ended up exactly the way he the way he planned it. It, it has more. There's more and more to it. There are more layers to it. He called his safer. He called the book that he wrote Shulchan Aruch the set table that you would be able to just come to the table and everything's laid out for you perfectly. Came along another person named the Rav Moshe Esselis, the Rav, we call him the Ramah, who was a Rav in Lublin in Poland. And he wrote, he said, well, this is great for Sfardim, but Ashkenazim, we have different We have different ways of deciding the halacha. He utilized mostly the Ramam and the Rif for his basis for his halacha. We use the Russian, the Balitosos, the halacha. Things are a little bit different. We have Minhagan and they are different. So he wrote what he called the Mapa, the, the tablecloth for the set table. That was the Ramos answer to the to the Shulchan Aruch. And then the Maganav Ram came and he wrote commentary on that. Um, and the Shach wrote commentary on that, and the Taz wrote commentary on that, and the Vilna Gaon, and the Nasivas, and the and the, and the Dogma Mervava, and the et cetera, et cetera, and on and on and on. Regarding the Prichadash, and, and and we could just go on and on talking about all the different commentaries on commentaries on commentaries, which is why. That's why you have people like me who can just confuse you by just throwing a lot of names at you, right? But essentially, the set, the, the goal is is to know what what's in Shulchan Aruch. So what's what's in, omitted from the primary halachic texts 
it becomes not relevant to halacha, despite the fact there may be a justified opinion, might be something that the people hold of, or some people hold of this rub was a great rub, and you know, etc. But if it wasn't, if it wasn't included in the, if it didn't quote, quote unquote, not to be disrespectful, it didn't make the cut, then we don't really worry. We don't, we don't deal with that as a as a valid shita, a valid opinion, which we have to rec- which we have to deal with and deal with the Suffolk brachos. Okay. Now, what do I do if I'm confronted by a Suffolk bracha? What should I do? I'm stuck now. I, I, I don't know. I can't read. I called, I called Rebbe Schwartz and he's not answering his phone. I called Rebbe Shochet and he's not available. What am I going to do? I have a Suffolk bracha. What should I, I'm stuck. What should I do? So when faced with the dilemma of a Suffolk bracha, which is a bracha derabana, essentially, well, let's talk about first if the Suffolk that you're dealing with, the doubt that you're dealing with is a rabbinic bracha, which is the vast majority of brachas, unless it's, unless it's benching, and even benching um, as ladies, you're going to have, it's going to be, it's going to be a little bit different, but, but let's just take gender. So there's several possible solutions that the postgum recommend. One is some postgum suggest that one mentally recite the bracha. Don't say the words out loud. If you remember before we spoke about in the, in the first week, when we spoke about whether or not a person actually has to say the words of the bracha, we said that if you don't say the actual words of the Nodon holds that it's not, you're not, you're not there's no, there's no halacha brachos. There's no, there's no halacha of motzi shem shemaim levatalo. The words of, of the, of the prohibition are motzi. You have to say the words. You have to say the name of Hashem. I don't say the name of Hashem, so I'm good. So I'll just think the bracha. And that way, if if I needed a bracha, I thought it, and you can be rely on the shitas, you rely on the opinions that hold here or kadibur dummy, that thinking is like is like speaking. And if not, then I didn't do anything wrong. That's one possible solution. Other poskim are of the opinion that one should recite the bracha, just skip Hashem's name. And also, the whole problem of bracha lavatala is that I'm not that not to say Hashem's name, so I'll just skip Hashem's name, and that way I won't have a problem. Excuse me. A third possibility is. That you say the bracha in Aramaic. Aramaic, for some reason, has a special kayach is supposed to be, and and therefore, if a person says um, says says it in says the bracha in Aramaic and substitutes the name of Hashem instead of saying Hashem's name, he says Rachmana, which refers to Hashem, the Merciful One. Right. So some say that's good enough. Some postcom, if you look in the footnote in number one eleven, you'll see that not all the not all the postcom agree that just because you said Rahmana, you didn't say Hashem's name. Some say since it's clear that your intent, Ramosha writes this, that so your intent is to say Hashem's name, then it's the same thing as if you say Hashem's name, the same as if you say Hashem's name in English. If your goal if your goal is to say Hashem's name, if your Hashem says he wants to say Emir Hashem, and you say it and you say it in English, you say please God, you're saying Hashem's name. That's that you know, right? If it's it's appropriate, it's appropriate. If it's not, it's not. In the opinion of other postcom, one should say the bracha in a completely different language and translate the name Hashem into that language even better than Aramaic. Aramaic, the Gemara has seems to have it seems ambivalence about Aramaic if, if it's a good thing or it's a, or it's a, or it's a, or it's a bad thing. Um, um, and the last possibility is that a person that when, which is perhaps the most advisable is the combination of one and two. That is, think the bracha. Uh, so that you should say the bracha out loud. Like the like the postman say to say the bracha and only think Hashem's name. When you get to Hashem's name, don't skip it completely because then you didn't say Hashem's name. And then just simply say just just, just simply think the name of Hashem. And by thinking the name of Hashem, you have uh, you've you've been motzi yourself. You've gotten yourself out of that 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 uh, that problem of the doubt of what to do in that particular situation. Um, for those of you that have the book, I recommend. Take a look at the chart on page 63. I'm not going to go through it now because if people that don't have it in front of them, it's going to just be confusing. But there you see how multiple different things play into 
into different different ideas, especially when you're talking about something that's a bracha daraisa or not a daraisa. When it comes to birkas hamazon, it matters if you've eaten your fill. You haven't eaten your fill. Did you eat a full shir? You didn't eat a shir. And and the same thing when it comes to main shalosh, etc. Or birkas hatara. There, we're, we only talked right now about something that's a suffix brachos, where the suffix, where the doubt that we have is a, is by, with a bracha darabana, or a, a bracha which was rabbinically instituted. We mentioned earlier, in an earlier week, I don't remember if it was a week ago, two weeks ago, whatever it is, we mentioned that there are two, there are two brachos, two slash three brachos that are daraisa. One, the one that's for sure daraisa is birkas hamazon. Is saying this the bracha that you make after bread, especially if you have satiated, if you've eaten it and you've been completely satisfied. Then there's a bracha of birkas hamazon when you're not completely satisfied. You only ate a kazayis, which is a rabbinic measurement for which a person still has to make a bracha for Then there's the question of me'ain shalosh. Is is me'ain shalosh? Is the bracha alamichia? Is that really the same as Birkas Hamazon? Not the same as Birkas Hamazon. That was worked out. And then there are those shitas that say that the bracha of Birkas Hatura is Daraisa. And there, there, there's a whole different set of rules that comes that plays that plays effect because there, where the doubt is a suffix Daraisa, it's a Torah prohibition not to make the bracha. So then that would override the isra of making a bracha of Atala, of saying a bracha of Atala. And I would have to because we say suffix Daraisa Chumra when it comes to. Torah prohibitions, we always take the more stringent view. So there with the stringency of having to make a bracha chrono would override the problem of Suffolk brachos Sahaka. But that's that you'll take a look at that chart if you have the book in front of you. Otherwise, if you want to come back to it, you'll have to talk to me at the time. Let's continue. What are some of the problems that are related to Brachal of Atala? Meaning what do I do when I'm in a situation where I made a bracha lavatala? It happened. It happened. What what should I do now? What how does that happen? What what are the what are what are the uh, what are the possibilities? So one of the possibilities is let's say I realized after I made the bracha that the food got spoiled. One of two ways. Either right, if somebody said a bracha, I'm about to take the food, and then all of a sudden, right, I realize that I can't eat this food. Either as I'm bringing the cup of milk up to my lips. I smell it and I realize that the milk is spoiled. So you might say, okay, so take a sip of the milk anyway. By the way, that doesn't help you because making a bracha on spoiled spoiled milk is not a bracha because a spoiled milk is not considered food and therefore the bracha is automatically a bracha lavatal. Or if I dropped the food spilled, I was having, I had a cup of soda in my hands and as I'm bringing it up to my lips to drink, I drop it, it slips out of my hand or my kid comes crashing into me and the, the, the drink goes flying everywhere. Right, it's not here anymore. Now what? Now, now what should I do? Or I drop it to fruit and I drop it. So then uh, now, now I've got problems. So um, there are several possible solutions. I just want to mention, just as just a, a, a by the way, um, to, if you take a, if you look at the, you'll see this in footnote number fourteen. If you want to read through the whole um, uh, scholarly piece on that that he has over there. But but essentially he he has a the the Hartzvi or Tzvi Pesach Frank who was one of the Rabbanim in Yerushalayim uh, around the turn of the century maybe a little later in the in the, in the early twenties Tzvi um, Pesach Frank says if I make a bracha on food that I have in front of me and I'm planning to eat that food not spoiled food but a peach and somebody and somebody crashes into me and I drop it or a glass of milk a glass of water and somebody's my soda spills as I'm trying to pick it up right <coughs> I already made the bracha. That's not a bracha lavatala because I'm when I made that bracha, I had full intent of actually consuming whatever that was. That bracha was a correct bracha. That I didn't end up having the opportunity to fulfill that bracha 
that doesn't that doesn't make the bracha of atala because the bracha of atala means I made a bracha in vain for no for no purpose at all. Here I intended very much, totally intended to do it, and for circumstances that were beyond my control, I wasn't able to get through it. Okay, that doesn't make any that that wouldn't make it into a bracha of atala. It's a very interesting a very interesting svara, a very interesting idea that plays into that. There are other alternatives that may prevent the bracha of atala. So I'm on page sixty five. B. So possible solutions for this idea of bracha l'vatzala. So there are several available alternatives that may prevent the bracha from being completely l'vatzala. If any amount of the food which I was planning to eat remains after I dropped it, the pe- I dropped the peach. So so the peach, you pick it up and eat it. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's not, it doesn't get ruined because it fell on the floor or the other side of it. I pick it up and wash it off quickly and then I can eat it, take a bite out of it. That's not a bracha l'vatzala anymore. It's, as long as it remains, it remains edible, or there's a little bit of the drink that's left in, inside, that's, that's, uh, that's fine. Um, if the food was spoiled, as in, you know, I'm, I'm bringing the milk up to my lips and all of a sudden, you know, I smelled spoiled milk, you know, that, you can't eat that. Eating repugnant food is in, itself, is in itself considered an iser of Baal Teshaktu, of doing something which, is, which, is, which, is, which makes you disgusting. And it's not considered, that's not considered a bracha. You can't make a bracha on something that's prohibited. Or something that is, or something that that you're not supposed to eat. So that 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 would um, that in that situation you you would be stuck. Now the other the other possibility is, let's say I was making a bracha of berepria eights on something that if it falls to the ground it's no longer viable. Let's say uh, I was taking a drink, I was going to take a drink of water, right, and somebody knocked my hand and I spilled my water, but there's more water in the pitcher. So just take a little more water and pour some more water. And it's not a bracha l'atala. There's no reason you can't do that. You can take you can take some more as long as whatever that item is that you are planning that you're taking as a replacement for what you already took is there and available to you, and you are planning to eat or drink or consume it later based on this bracha. Then this bracha is not a bracha l'atala. If I had a fruit, and this is my fruit for the day, right? I'm you know I'm on a diet, and so I'm only allowed to have. Uh, one piece of melon. And now somebody comes along and they knock the melon out of my hand and now it fell down. Now I have to go open a whole nother melon and I have to cut it out. And I was never planning to do that. The bracha doesn't count for that. Your bracha, the bracha, even though you make the same bracha, but your bracha doesn't go on that thing that you weren't planning to eat. It's another, it's another fruit. It's not, it's not there. That doesn't help you. However, um, the if the bracha was sufficiently broad to cover something else that you're eating, so go ahead and eat something else. It doesn't matter if it's not exactly the same thing. You still are yotze. If neither of those of the of those two things is an option to take something else or to have the leftover of whatever it was, so then the bracha has unavoidably become a bracha l'vatala, right? So when your bracha l'vatala is, is said, so then what you are supposed to do is say baruch shem kvoid malchusay la'olam void. That's your only choice. And as we mentioned before, if you if you just started a bracha and you say baruch atah Hashem, you could say lamdeni chukecha. But if you already said etc., so then you can only so all you can do is say Baruch Shem And what can you do? The bracha is a bracha l'atala. Similarly, there are other ways in which a person can end up find himself in a situation where he may find himself stuck and not able to eat what he thought he was going to eat. It's a fast day. It's a fast day, and I made it. I forgot that it was a fast day, so I'm, I would turn on the faucet and I fill up a cup of water and make a beautiful with lots of kavana because I'm very thirsty. and I'm about to drink the water, and I realize, oh my goodness, I'm fasting. I can't drink this. Now I'm stuck. I I already made a bracha, so I have to drink it. But the tiny says I shouldn't drink it. So now, which one do I do? Am I should I drink or should I not drink it? 
So, um, so the the, um, the prohibition of of not eating on a fast day, even a fast day that is self declared. So the Gemara brings several times there's several times ways in which a person can make have to make a fast. Let's say a person had a bad dream, and so they're fasting because they want it as a as a hatavas halom, or for a person's fasting because it's a yard site or something like that. If if you have that custom, so then you're you're fasting on your own. So you might say, well. This is my voluntary fast versus the prohibition of a brachal of atzala. Which one? Which one comes first? So the answer is the what's the whole underlying siba? What's the whole underlying reason for brachal of atzala? The underlying reason for brachal of atzala is for this for this blessing in vain is that I'm. It's a false. It's like a false oath. It's like declaring something to be the way it is, and it's really that's not really what I. What, that's not really. It's not really correct. The, the commitment to fast on a particular day is also an oath. It's like it has, has the same uh, same stringency as making an oath. So the, the bracha levatala would not override the tainess, would not override the fast. You should say baruch shem poem Here are the, some of the su- more surprising ones. If a person was during the nine days and he is going through, you know, your husband comes in and he makes himself a nice... Uh, a nice bologna sandwich, right? And and as he's about to eat it, he washes and he washes his hands and he makes a, a hamotzi. And as he's about to take a bite out of it, you walk into the room, you see him with a bologna sandwich in the middle of the nine days. You're like, it's the nine days. You can't eat that. Now what should he do? He's stuck. He already made a bracha. Can he, should he eat or should he not eat? So the halacha of eating meat during the nine days, it's funny how some things become in Kaisal, become like so fixed. We become so rigid about them. There's no source in the Talmud, specific source for not eating meat during the nine days, right? Even though it's true, there is a, a source in the Gemara about um, uh, for for uh, doing things zecher lemikdash, and specifically during the nine days that a person should be memayet basimcha, he should do less simcha. But there's nowhere that it says don't eat meat. There is no such prohibition. There is a it is brought in Shulchan Aruch. But it doesn't have a source in the Talmud. It is a custom. It is a minog. So now you have a custom not to eat meat versus a halacha, a bracha levatala. Which one of which one overrides? Of course, bracha levatala. So you should take a small bite of that. Eat the small piece of meat. What are you going to do? You're over on the on that minog, of course. And it's, it's a very sad thing, but you don't want to have to have a bracha levatala on top of that. Similarly, a person had a fleshik meal. And now goes to the closet, right? And he sees a bar of chocolate. And I don't know if you're like me, chocoholic, right? You got, what are you going to do? There's a bar of chocolate, a piece of chocolate. And as you're about to put it into your mouth after making a nice, beautiful shahako, you realize, oh my goodness, I'm still fleshing. Four hours ago, I ate a meal, right? Three hours ago, I ate a meal. Two hours ago, I ate a meal. Whatever it is, right? I'm within my six hours, four hours, three hours, whatever your minute is. A discussion for another time where where these different minhagim come from, but essentially should, should he take a should he take a bride should not take a bride? So again, this this idea of waiting between meals between milchiks and fleshiks, the Gemara mentions it sort of in an offhand kind of way that that there there's a there's an Indian there's an idea that you shouldn't eat meat misuda from one meal to the next meal. But that's, again, it's only a hanhaga, it's only a minute. Again, you think about the things that we take on as like the halachos that are so stringent to us, that are so like ingrained in us, eating milk is inflation. It's brachal versus brachal vatala, brachal vatala comes first. Some say only if it's more than an hour past the, if it's more than an hour past the meal. 
Others say that even even if it's a few minutes afterwards, you should drink a little bit and 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 not be and 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 uh, not do that. Um, even during the first hour, um, he brings it in footnote number number one nineteen. He brings that only from the Yechavadas. That's that's from that's uh, from that's uh, from um, from that the Yechavadas is the Rovad Yosef, right? But I I hear his svara very strongly, even though he only quotes the the sheet that says that more than an hour. But but that that I think to me it seems to me that that's a a very strong minute, and the other the other area in halacha, it's brought in halacha, which is a which is a halacha that's brought in shulchan aruch. One that people are not so careful about, and perhaps is less well known, is that there's a halacha in shulchan aruch that you're not allowed to eat anything from the time of the shabbos ends until after you made havdalah. Many people don't know that, but until you make havdalah, you're not allowed to eat or drink anything. You can drink water, but you can't drink. You can't. You can't have. Can't eat or drink anything anything real. So even though one's not permitted to eat before drink saying Abdullah, somebody said a brach on a food prior to Abdullah, he should eat a small amount to prevent a brach of Abdullah because that again, the, even though it's a halacha in Shulchan Aruch that a person shouldn't eat should, shouldn't eat that, but the 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 concept of brach of Abdullah is certainly more stringent than um, certainly more more stringent. Than the than the bracha of uh, than than the, the halacha of uh, of not eating before havdalah. Okay, okay. Um, let's go. We're, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave you to uh, to look over the summary of section four on your own and pr- continue now to section five. We still have five minutes, so I, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with the with section five where where we deal with um, having the proper respect for brachos, knowing. What you are and are not allowed to do at the time when you're making a bracha. We're probably not going to finish the entirety of this section, but at least we'll get started. So a bracha is not an incantation. Again, this is something, this is a little bit of a review. As you know, making a bracha is not simply, um, it's like my the people when, when, when I'm in the bakery where, where I that I supervise. So, so e- even though I've been going there for years and checking their ingredients, somehow they think that if I just bless the bread, it's going to be kosher. It's not about just saying some mumbo jumbo, right? And suddenly making a bracha is not that mumbo jumbo. It's a declaration of our fundamental faith, right? Like we said over from the Tanza Rebbe, the opportunity to eat is an opportunity to declare our faith in Hashem to the recognition of the brachos, of the blessings that we have that come directly from Him and that we're dependent upon Him for everything. So a bracha recited with proper intent and concentration is an affirmation of Hashem's that is a, that is a pardon my saying so, but the, the editor missed something. It should say Hashem's kingship, not kingdom. It's an affirmation of Hashem's being the king. It's not an affirmation of it. It's an affirmation of His rulership. The failure to concentrate on the meaning of the bracha reveals an insensitivity and a disregard of Hashem's mastery of the world. Whether you're intended or not, if you if you're not concentrating, again, we're going to go back to what we said before. It's very difficult to have kavana in all of our brachas. And of course, ideally, that's what we all really want to do, right? Clearly, a bracha with le- with less kavana is better than no bracha at all. But you have to understand that we are putting ourselves at risk every time we make a bracha of not showing proper respect to the Rebansham. And it's, it's, it's an insensitivity, a disregard of Hashem's mastery of the world and all that's in it. A bracha 
divorced from serious kavana becomes merely an empty shell, one that is necessary but it's there. So the frequency with which we recite brachos, of course, is a two-edged sword. On the one hand, we're provided with countless opportunities to declare our dependence on Hashem, to recognize how much He provides for us in every aspect of our daily lives. And on the other hand, the bracha can become easily become commonplace, what we call mitzvahs anashim ulumada, with things that people do by rote, and, and, and devoid completely of spiritual content. The halachos that are set forth in this section just demonstrate the concern that Chazal had for the brachos and, um, and reflect deep spiritual commitment. These halachos are not mere chumras. We're not now talking about stringencies. We're not talking about what you should be doing ideally. This is the way to make a bracha. When I do anything less than this, I haven't met the minimum. Now, Having said that, that I haven't met the minimum, it doesn't mean they shouldn't say the bracha. And I take you back to what I said on Shabbos is hakol kol yakov. Any time a yid says something that he rec- that he says something that's talking to the rebbeim shalom, the rebbeim is listening to him. Just like your kids when they, they when they're irritating you and aggravating you and and going on and on and on, just, just talking, talking, talking. But you're always listening for that one little cute phrase. You're always listening for that kid that is there's a little bit of pain or whatever it is. The Rebbe is always listening to us, regardless of whether or not we're paying attention to how we're speaking to him, respectfully or disrespectfully. And just think about it again. Even when your kids talk to you disrespectfully, as much as you want them to be respectful, you're also still listening to what they have to say when they're being disrespectful. So that's a, the, the, these are so that that's that's important to keep in mind. The an integral part of the halachas of brachas are to be treated with the same seriousness as any other halacha pertaining to the subject, and therefore. It's important to go through what are the proper kavanas, what's the proper intent, what's the proper methodology by which a bracha has to be said. So the first thing we have to know is that it is important, it is incumbent upon all of us to study the brachos and to know what the words mean. To know each bracha, what, what are we actually saying when we say this bracha. It is mandatory to recite a bracha with full attention to the meaning of the words. Um, and with gratitude to Hashem for having provided the occasion for that bracha. And nevertheless, one who fails to have that bracha intention will, while reciting a bracha, does not repeat the bracha, but again, it doesn't take away from the fact that that is what is what is seriously necessary for what we're doing. Okay, the next thing we're going to get into, uh, paying attention to the brachos, let's, let's hold over here, and Mr. Shem will pick up from here, the, the, the attention and what are some suggestions for how we, it is that we can play, pay co- closer attention to the brachas that we're making, some solutions for that. I'm sure many of you have seen on the Ashayatza sign about standing still and not doing, not doing other things, but we'll, we'll talk about other aspects of that next time, Mr. Shem. So we'll pick up from this idea of paying attention to the subject of the brachas that we're making. Okay, thank you very much, everybody. Have a wonderful evening. End over here. End over here.